Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the debut of the Speaking of Everything Matchup Football Podcast. I'm Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire, and I will be joined by Mark Schofield of Touchdown Wire as well to discuss all the big matchups and stories and concepts for Week 7. Let's get rolling right away. Uh, here's me and Mark going for an hour on uh, all the big All-22 stuff and all the big matchups and everything going on for Week 7, starting with the Eagles-Giants game and why Carson Wentz is better than you think, and we'll go from there. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode one of the Speaking of Everything football matchup podcast. This is for week seven. I am Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire in the USA Today Sports Media Group, our uh, most prominent football writer and quarterback guy and X's and O's dude and power rankings maven as of last week. Mark Schofield is joining me on this, uh, this week and every week. And Mark, uh, great to have you. I know you're writing for us. Uh, you're doing Big Blue View. You're doing Pat's Pulpit. You're doing... Uh, Shit, where I co-host the uh, QB the QB Factory with Michael Kist. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. QB Factory, QB Show Show. But then Roseman drafted Jalen Hurts and said that Philadelphia was the QB Factory, so we had we had to rename the show. You just had to, and I know Kist is boy, he's a handful, isn't he? <laughs> he's absolutely a handful. He, <laughs> he's two handfuls. He's a, he's a Walter Jones handful. But yes, he is a handful. Yeah. I watched tape with Walter like two years ago, and his head is the size of my car. It's the largest man I've ever seen in my life, and and just such a nice guy. Okay, so uh, I want to start with the game we're going to be seeing tonight. We're taping this on Thursday morning, uh, Pacific time, ergo the bedhead. Um, Carson Wentz, I had him as my quarterback in this week's Secret Superstars, and I'll just run down what I wrote because – the narrative is, and I think it was true early in the season, Carson Wentz is there are some major mechanical flaws. He's overstriding. He's not really seeing what he's seeing. But there was a point at which in the, the game against the Ravens in week six, close loss, and he kind of willed them back to um, even relevance in that game. I think it was Miles Sanders got hurt, and it was Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey were the only – projected starters on offense on the field at that time. And I know the Eagles have had bad injury luck in the last two years, usually per football outsiders, because they've really tracked this stuff. The injury luck will, you know, ebb and flow and regress and go up. But I think it's time for Doug Peterson to investigate voodoo because it's bad. And I'll just read what I wrote in Super Superstars because, and you know this because you're a quarterback guy. Um, and Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup, who's taught me as much about football as anyone, uh, told me this years ago. It's really important, especially college quarterbacks, the systems vary. You investigate the quarterback in a vacuum. You look at his traits and attributes and, you know, mechanics and velocity and, you know, release point and all that outside of whatever circumstances he may be in. And I think with Wentz, we have to look at the whole picture. Here's what I wrote. Against the Steelers in week five and the Ravens in week six, two of the best defenses in the NFL. Wentz completed 41 of 75 passes for 471 yards, four touchdowns, 
two interceptions, and a passer rating of 80.5. Doesn't sound that great until you consider the context. He's working with an injury-decimated offensive line and a receiver group that needs name tags. He was pressured on 40 of his 88 dropbacks. He threw four touchdowns and one interception under pressure. His two interceptions came against Pittsburgh. One was a play where a tight end Zacharis got bumped off his route too easily. Ertz, by the way, is now out for four to six weeks, I read this morning. I mean, yeah. And the other was a desperation he went fourth and 20 from his own 15 late in the game. Wentz basically willed his team to close losses against two of the NFL's top five teams with very little around him on offense. And a defense, by the way, that seems to want to define bad coverage in all sorts of different ways. And, like, Sidney Jones goes to the Jaguars, and all of a sudden he's good. And when other guys go to other teams that were on your team, they become good immediately. Uh, hello, Adam Gase. That's never a good sign. So and I, I featured, and anyone who's listening to this, you have Game Pass, Go watch his 18-yard touchdown pass to Travis Fulgham. Um, Wentz was flushed out of the pocket and made this perfect throw with three Ravens defenders around him. I mean, I know Wentz was a problem earlier in the season. Whatever problems are just, you know, be clowning the Eagles at this point, he's not one of them. I mean, you study quarterbacks more than I do. What is your sense of Wentz and how he's turned things around in the last couple of weeks and, and kind of where he is? Against the Giants defense, by the way, uh, very zone heavy. James Bradbury is playing out of his mind. Dexter Lawrence, who was kind of my draft crush when he came out, he's playing his butt off. They don't have a lot of talent. That defense is playing pretty good. And I know everyone says Giants-Eagles, ugh. But I think the Philadelphia offense, such as it is, it's like Carson Wentz and a bunch of you guys from Old Dominion at this point, versus that Giants defense, it is kind of an interesting matchup. So it, give me a sense of what you've seen from Wentz in the last few weeks. I, what's been interesting, you know, doing the show that I do with Michael, I get a nice window into where Eagles fans view their team right now. And over the past couple of weeks, sort of the, the phrase that has become parlance in Philadelphia is let the Bronco buck with respect to once. Yeah. You know, at the start of the year, you saw, like you said, Doug, the, the mechanical issues. He wasn't trusting his eyes. He was trying to do too much. The lower body was a mess. Now they're just kind of letting him be who he is. They've accepted the fact that because they're so banged up, you know, last week they were playing with Jason Kelsey and then a bunch of guys that couldn't assemble a 16-game start and slate to their careers in terms of the games that they've started on the rest of the offensive line. Like, they just let Carson Wentz do what he has to do, whether it's his legs, whether it's making those throws, like mentioned, the fourth and nine touchdown, Travis Fulham. They're just letting him be, and they're going to accept the fact that he might get hurt as a result of this. This is what we've seen with Carson Wentz throughout his career, and this dates back to his days in North Dakota State, where in the junior year national championship game against Illinois State, he was trying to run people over in the open field. He would refuse to go down. And I remember doing a video with Matt Waldman about that game, and we were like, this is great. Don't ever do it in the NFL because you're going to get hurt. And, well, that's what he's doing. The NFL, and he gets hurt. Well, my cop for him coming out of college has been Roethlisberger. Right. And has never cared about that stuff. Yeah. And after throwing the football, basically. Yeah. And Wentz is the same way. He is going to will his team on every single play, you know, pass the whistle. He plays with a linebacker's mentality. And right now, that's their best chance at winning games. Is it sustainable in the long term? Absolutely not. But might it be enough to get them six wins in a division in the NFC East? Absolutely. You know, if he stays healthy for this year, they could win the division with six games. I'm, I'm fascinated by this matchup tonight. I'm fascinated by the idea. Ah, we got to stop this, guys. By the way, I'm just going to interrupt. The NFL, 
Uh, you already had enough distractions and, and changes. This, this is the year we have to stop doing it by division and start doing it by win percentage. We can't reward teams for winning bad divisions. And then you have a situation where, you know, a good team, like a couple of years ago, the Chargers, they won what, 12, 11 games? But they have to go east to Baltimore and then east to New England. You know, that was a year that the Chargers could have made the run that all of us in the media have been clamoring for for years now. It seems like we're always like, oh, the Chargers are going to be good this year. Yeah, we got to stop rewarding teams for winning bad divisions. So, anyway, I just – I had to throw that rant in there. Um, yeah, and the, and the Giants' defense, I mean, I, I think they have a chance to make this interesting. Um, it, it's not a great game, obviously, but there are, you know, a lot of sub-matchups that make it pretty cool. So, if you don't want to watch the presidential debate uh, or you want to flip back and forth between one disaster and another, then, uh, you know, you have your options. Get a pair of disasters to watch tonight. So. Yes, indeed. And I don't think they're going to mute uh, Carson's microphone, so that's good. No. Uh, Detroit at Atlanta. Which of these quarterbacks is more upended by his own defense, um, whether it's Matthew Stafford or um, Matt Ryan? I, I will say that the Lions are playing more zone, which, hey, Matt Patricia, after a year and a half, you finally figured it out. Your team can't, cannot play man coverage. You do not have the, the horses for it, or you've traded them away or alienated them. Um, I look especially, and I know you did at Schofield's QB camp. I mean, we've talked about Ryan. You know, we kind of know how good Matt Ryan is. He's playing actually at a really good pace this year. Um, and we all saw that Matthew Stafford kind of sidearm thing, which he was doing when Patrick Mahomes was still in high school. Yeah. Um, talk to me about Matthew Stafford and just how, because I know he led your QB camp this week. Talk to me about how good he's playing. I mean, it's not that he's played extremely well. It's that Matthew Stafford, I think, is still one of those underappreciated quarterbacks where if he had a better team around him or if this was a team that was winning games, he would be in the conversation for one of the top 10, top five quarterbacks in the league. That's how good he is. You know, you just talked about a couple minutes ago about how Greg Cosell taught you to evaluate quarterbacks. You look at them in a vacuum, you look at the traits and all that stuff. Stafford checks all of those boxes. I mean, he had some really impressive throws beyond the arm angle throw, which, like you said, Doug, he was doing when, you know, Mahomes was still a kid running around with his dad. So I, I I was asked years ago if I could take any non-Tom Brady quarterback and drop him on the Patriots, who would I pick? And I said Matthew Stafford in a heartbeat. Like, it was my easiest answer. I remember a couple of summers ago I was asked to give my top five quarterbacks, and I had Stafford at five ahead of Ryan. And I don't think I was allowed back in the state of Georgia for, like, two years. They had, like, signs on the border, like, do not let this guy in. Falcons fans are still mad. That That's multiple states for you now, isn't it? Yeah, there are some places, Doug, that I just can't go. I mean, that's one of them. Um, I can't really go back to Chicago, my adopted um, second hometown, because that's where my wife grew up. But after what I've done with Richard Trubisky and now Nick Foles, they're, they're not fans. Well, they can't really. I, I don't even want to know what you guys do in Mobile every year. That's a different story. <laughs> yeah, what happens, Doug, in Mobile stays in Mobile. It's in Mobile. Yes, it does. It's a uh, yeah. situation. But, you know, I, I think Stafford is an underappreciated quarterback who I think if he was coming out now of the draft, you know, people would probably have more open mind around him. I think he's still in that tier of quarterbacks that, you know, age range of quarterbacks where, you know, we didn't really appreciate arm angles and mobility and creativity. Like he was still in that cluster of quarterbacks that when they were coming out, we wanted pocket guys and guys that could make throws on 37 and throw the out route. You know, I think his, skill set tailors itself more to the modern game. The problem is how much is he going to be able to do that 
you know, how much longer does he have, I guess? So, I mean, that's my question with Stafford. But I, I, I have an affinity for his game. I enjoy watching him. What I'm just curious about looking at this game, it, it's the defense. It's like you, you pointed out. Yeah, Atlanta is, is so – I remember uh, Justin Jefferson made Secret Superstars. He's the first guy, I think, to make it two times this year. Um, and we all know how good he is. But that long, you watch that long touchdown uh, in garbage time because with when Kirk Cousins is your quarterback, every time is garbage time at this point. Uh, he, he took that poor Falcons cornerback, Kendall Sheffield, and as I like to say, put him in the dishwasher and left the house. And you have as a cornerback – I know they're I know they're banged up. I know they're they're losing a lot of guys. Uh, Terrell came back, had an interesting. That defense is bad, and you know they picked up Kirk Cousins three times. You and I can pick up Kirk Cousins three times. That that is not an arbiter of anything. That defense is bad. And, well, and, and you- Morris last year turned it around when he was like you know him and Jeff Olbert kind of turned it around. And he was bumped up. I don't see that happening this year. No, and you tweeted that about Cousins. Like, two of his three interceptions were, like, benchable moments. I mean, the one he threw against cover three where he tried to throw the cross or just threw it right to Deion Jones. Like, I don't know what he was seeing. As a matter of fact, our good friend Arif Hassan tweeted out. Yeah, a, I saw that. <laughs> I was like, what are, you, what are you looking at? Harrison saw what the rest of us saw. There's Deion Jones right in the throwing lane. Like, there's, there's no reason Cousins needed to throw that football. Minnesota, and we've both written about this this week. Minnesota has a huge problem with Cousins. Yes, they do. But they can't get out of it. Nope. At least through the end of next season. The the, the $66 million extension was one of – I mean, Rick Spielman's done a really nice job building that team. Um, And I think – I mean, not to get too off subject, I think in this podcast we can deal with, you know, conceptual things as well as schematic things. Um, I know that until this year, you know – being very familiar with Seattle and Pete Carroll and defensive coaches want quarterbacks who don't screw up. So they get these sort of Kirk Cousins archetypes and they say, well, you know, he's not going to win the game, but at least he's not going to lose the game. And the problem with guys on the sort of the edge of pretty good and the edge of pretty bad is they will, he's the kind of quarterback and there are a lot of them in the league at any given time where you kind of need everything to go right for it to work. And that offensive line is not working, but he's still got, you know, Adam Thielen, he's got Justin Jefferson who um, now, and I know you wrote about this way back when about about Jefferson is more than a slot guy, which he was in college. And he's certainly proven that Um, you got to stop overpaying quarterbacks because you think they won't screw up. Right. And I, whatever we have the, the Cousins conversation, my mind goes to that recent article about when he was with Jay Gruden. And there would be times in practice when Jay would say, look, he's not going to get more open than that, Kurt. You've got to throw the ball. But that's the problem with Cousins. You know, I, I, I compared him to a baker in which, you know, he has to follow the recipe like step by step by step by step by step. He can't have any creativity. And when he tries to sort of color outside the lines, that's when it's going to fall apart. And he, to have everything going exactly right. Like you said, you know, Zimmer and Carroll and those sort of defensive-minded guys don't want guys to screw up. But you can't play this position conservative, particularly right now. In an age of... Like, you can't play this position conservative. If you do, you're just you're just asking for trouble. So I, I know off the, the, the... Maybe it's an indication of what we think about Detroit Atlanta that we started talking about Kirk Cousins, but yeah. 
Yeah. Well, funny you should mention Mr. Mayfield because that's where we're going next. Cleveland at Cincinnati. Um, by far, I, I haven't looked it up this week. Last week, uh, before the disaster against Pittsburgh, which was easy to call, really. Um, Baker had had 17 boot left throws. The rest of the league has 75. Kevin Stefanski has done as good a job as he possibly can. You have to put your limited quarterbacks in positions to succeed. He's done the things that Baker does well, which is unscripted moves, cut the field in half. He reminds me, I mean, Andy Dalton was like this coming out of TCU. A lot of boot, a lot of half field. Make things easier for your guy. The problem with Baker, and you know this more than I do, you put him in the pocket and it, he's lost. He has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, and I think that this week sort of showed the limitations that this Cleveland organization has right now with respect to Baker. Because if they're in a positive game script and they can run their offense and they can rely on boots and play actions and all that fine stuff that's tailored to Baker where he is right now as a quarterback, they can win games. But Baker is not constructed right now. He's not good enough right now. He might not be good enough, period, to throw them back into games. And so if they're up 21-14 or 21-7, like, they're in a good position. But if they're down early, partly because Baker's made a bad read and throws a pick six, he can't throw you back into games. And so is that sustainable over the long run? No. Does Cleveland probably face a decision about his fifth-year option? Absolutely. I don't seen enough from Baker Mayfield to say definitively that, yeah, he's the guy long-term. To be fair to him, on, on two different levels, a micro and a macro, he was banged up this week. This was a really bad matchup, like you said. Anybody could have seen this one coming. Like, Cleveland-Pittsburgh, that is still a bad matchup for Cleveland right now. That Pittsburgh it's, hard to, it's hard to throw with busted ribs. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the micro. The macro is this. He's had so many different coordinators and so many – it's such few years here in the league where I'd like to, I, I think he's deserved another shot with Stefanski, like another year to sort of figure it out. But I think if you're the Browns, you have to start thinking, okay, pick up the option, short-term extension, like we need to see something and we need to have ourselves an out because, you know, we can't be sure right now he is the guy long-term. Now, you wrote a thing this uh, this past week, which I thought interesting because under Lou, I don't have a name in front of me, um, they're – the, the Bengals' current defensive coordinator, and I've talked to people in Cincinnati about this, a lot of coverage busts, a lot of, you know, it, it seemed like the coordinator and the, and the players were not in sync. But you wrote something about Cincinnati's defense against the Ravens that I found fascinating because it seemed like for once the Bengals' defense had a plan, and that could be bad news for Baker. So can you kind of roll into that and what was last week, you know, a lot of people thought, look, something's wrong with Baltimore's offense. So I took a look at what Cincy did, and they, they did a couple of different things. One, they did a really good job of disguising some stuff. Like, a lot of times, those of us that write about offensive stuff, you know, I've talked about it. Darren Lossie's talked about it as well, using motion pre-snap for two reasons. One, to get information, and two, for what Orlowski called impact, which is you're making defenders think right at the snap. And offensive guys like me and Dan, we always like it when we make the defensive guys think because we think we're getting ahead of the game. But So Baltimore would use motion, and you'd get a response that would tell the quarterback, oh, it's zone. They're just sliding guys. They're not trailing guys. But then they'd flip at the snap and run man anyway. Yep. And so you're getting a pre-snap expectation as a quarterback. Oh, I'm getting this coverage. And then it's something completely unexpected. So they did a really good job with that. They did a good job at sort of 
parried blitzes with coverage behind it, whether it's running zone behind some blitz schemes or running some robber style coverage behind some blitz schemes, to sort of take away Lamar's first expectation of where to go with the football. And they also did a very good job with the secondary. I thought of like passing things off. So if you get a cover four, you're getting sort of that post dig concept. That's great against cover four, cover two, those middle field open looks, the safeties did a great job, pass it off the post. And then the other guy would nail down on the dig in front of him. So it was a combination of things that I thought really worked from Cincinnati, which we haven't seen from that dang Bengals defense in a while. Is it something they could sustain? I hope for them they do. Um, but I was impressed with what they did against Lamar Jackson. And like you said, that might spell difficulty for Baker. Because one of the things that we've seen from Baker, you've written about this, is how bad he performs from a clean pocket. Like when every he, he was the worst quarterback from a clean pocket last year. Like in the NFL. That should be like that should be easy mode to yep. compare to a video game thing for an NFL quarterback. If you're kept clean and you can make reads, like that's easy mode for you. But that's where Baker struggles the most. And now if you're gonna like factor into the equation that you're gonna see spun safety looks that are much crisper than you're used to seeing, and you're gonna confuse the guy, that spells a problem for Baker, I think. Yeah, a couple things. Um, yeah, motion. I've talked to Dan. I've written two articles about motion in the last month and a half. I'm going to write more. Uh, <laughs> talked to Dan and Matt Bowen about this. There's a lot going on. The first team I saw, and I, I was doing a thing on Quentin Dunbar. We uh, went to the Seahawks in a trade. And the Washington football of substance, as I like to call them, that was the first team where I saw them, definit- and this was last year, definitively show, zone, and then go to man. In other words, or, or show man and then go to zone. Like, in other words, and, and this has been driving me crazy for years. Like, why do you, you know, motion receiver, you go across, that gives an indicator to the quarterback to run man. If you're sort of passing off the motion pre-snap, you know it's zone. Like, well, why don't you show one thing and do another? Washington was the first team I saw doing that in a definitive, like, more than once, so it wasn't a coverage bust. And it's good to see other teams sort of doing that where – give the quarterback one thing and you show another um, in a pre-snap sense, I think that's a big deal. And I, I would like to see defenses be more proactive and, and, and do more of that. Um, I know I've talked to Dan about this a lot. He keeps saying, you know, defenses need – and Cody Alexander, a uh, high school coach in Texas, who I know we both know and does great work, um, has said the same thing. Defenses need to start playing more offensive. Um, well, you know – we're in an era where offensive coordinators and you know franchises want to get their rookie quarterback onto the field because it's cost-effective. You can build around them the, the Seattle Seahawks model, right, with Russell Wilson, cheap quarterback, build around them, all that stuff. So you want yeah, to get – That happens every day. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing with, you know, who's the next Dak Prescott, right? Who's the next Joe Burrow? I mean, we have this recency bias in the National Football League, and it's such a copycat league. But if you're going to do that – you want to structure an offense where that first read is going to be open. So it's a Daniel Jones, first read heavy quarterback, like get that first read open. And so if you, you know, as a defense, let that happen, that's kind of on you. And so I think that like, you're right. Defenses, like Dan has said, like Cody Alexander has said, they need to take that first read away or at the very least make the quarterback think about that first read when the ball gets into his hands. And if you're yeah. in the motion or anything like that, and the quarterback knows exactly what he's going to get, you're just making it easier for these guys. If you disguise it better, then he has to think about that first read. And for a guy like Daniel Jones, who we've seen 2.7 seconds snap to throw this year, 
which is where he was last year. There's been no improvement on that. And when you've got a guy like Daniel Jones who takes that time in the pocket and then puts the ball on the ground because he's fumble prone, you're doing your job as a defense. So defenses need to start doing that. Like, confuse these guys pre-snap. If they're going to put these young guys out there and try to get that first read open, take it away. It's like Orlovsky's video about, you know, Sean McVay and Jared Goff trying to train him to get to the second read. Guys aren't ready to do that yet. Well, we're gonna when we get into Bills and Josh Allen, we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. But uh, this may be the matchup of the week. You have the Steelers with the the blitzingest, most pressure heavy, um, most you know sacktacular defense in the NFL against a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. I want to read you these stats. This is Ryan Tannehill under pressure this year for Pro Football Focus: twenty four forty five, two hundred and sixty three yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, one hundred and ten point five passer rating. He's the best quarterback in the NFL under pressure. This is a fascinating matchup because, I mean, what this Ryan Tannehill, I, I think, I, I would like to think we can go past the one year wonder thing now. He's playing at an MVP level. If you take his last 16 starts, you know, kind of do the Tiger Slam thing, just take his last 16 starts and call it a season, he's the MVP. That That's so, can we just dispense, you know, I think, you know, we could do a whole podcast on the Steelers-Titans matchup, but I just wanted to mention that uh, we're past the one-year wonder thing, right? Absolutely. I think so. I, I was asked this question on the radio last night. Is he elite? And I said, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. He's in that elite category right now. It's hard to, 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 you know, ignore the numbers. I think there are so many fascinating things about this game, and, and, and we could talk about, you know, when the Steelers have the football, too, because I've been fascinated with how they've used Ben Roethlisberger this year. Yeah. Um, I but can do a whole podcast on Arthur Smith, by the way, who, who should be a head coach next year. That's where I'm flipping this back to because I'm very fascinated to see Pittsburgh's defense against Arthur Smith and what he wants to do. You know, the, the, one of the things that I love about Smith is that I think, you know, the way he puts Tannehill in positions to be successful, the way he uses personnel, you know, throw it off a of play action out of 13 personnel. I mean, that's a cheat code. That's a legitimate cheat code in today's NFL because you have no choice but to play base defense if you're on the other side of the football. And you see that because you've got Derrick Henry behind three tight ends. Hmm. What else are you going to expect, right? So, yeah, I, I, this is the game I think most people want to just sit down and watch. And yeah. He's, he's really good at doing, like, jumbo sets, and then it's, uh, you know, 50 or blast your receiver. Right. Yeah, it's it's four verticals out of 13 personnel when you're faking to Derrick Henry. Yeah. Like, that's, just, that's just mean. <laughs> that's nasty. That's that's unfair. Yeah. Uh, Carolina at New Orleans. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, – I know you've been watching Teddy, um, and I, I love what they're doing without Christian McCaffrey. It's become more of a I, – I, from what I've seen, more of a power running thing with Davis, more of a shot play deal. They obviously – you know, they have the most versatile running back in the league in McCaffrey who can do all these different things. Now they don't have him. Um how, from what you've seen, have they changed their offense to positive effect? I mean, I think I don't want to go as far as to say, and some have said this, that this is a better offense without McCaffrey um, because yeah, kind of, it's different that far. Better. Um, but I do think that the, what they've done is, you know, like you mentioned, the sort of power running game, which I think fits what they've got up front. I think that meshes well with the talent they have up front right now. I think the acquisition of Robbie Anderson it doesn't get a ton of press but it should. I think that was such a great acquisition for them because similar to what I was sort of mentioning a second ago with Ben Roethlisberger, they can go three by one. And if, if Teddy likes the matchup backside with Robbie Anderson 
in that isolated formation. He can just throw to him. And he's good enough where he can beat you over the top. So that puts the fear of God in cornerbacks. They have to respect the vertical threat. So he's just getting, you know, out routes and comeback routes in front of it. I do think Teddy is good. The, the, the issue is, and from talking to people around the Panthers, they're good enough, but they're not great. So they're going to be in that sort of draft pick purgatory next year. Where if you're a Panthers fan that was hoping at Trevor Lawrence or Trey, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, you're probably not going to get one of those guys. And so now you might get Trey Lance. You might. You might. I don't know. We know how quarterbacks get pushed up boards, Doug. Yeah. Going top five, probably. So uh, it, it is what it is with quarterbacks. So, no, Teddy's good enough where they could, you know, make a run at that seventh playoff spot. Yeah. But that puts them into sort of that, that quarterback purgatory. But I do like what they've done with him. I think he's. His deep ball is better than I think people expected. Um, a lot of people sort yeah, of play. I think that's always been the case. I remember he was my number one prospect in his draft class. And, oh, he can't throw deep. He can't throw deep. And I was watching his lose. Uh, yeah, he can. People have, it's, not, it's not like awesome, but it's there. It, it's functional. And when you have a receiver on the other end, like Robbie Anderson, who's done a great job, particularly some back shoulder throws. I remember he had a couple uh, Atlanta uh, like two weeks ago. And actually, the video. Um, great adjustment to some of those back shoulder throws. They seem to be on the same page, Teddy and Robbie Anderson. So it's been an interesting offense to watch. I'm very excited to see what they've done so far. And I'm excited to see that Joe Brady's having some success too. Robbie Anderson, another guy who, with the Jets, mostly a vertical guy, goes to the Panthers, and all of a sudden he's a complete receiver. The moral of the story, as always, is once you're freed from Adam Gase, everything is better. Uh, now, Dallas at Washington, I'm just going to pass because I wrote about Mike McCarthy and Mike Nolan yesterday, and I, I think it's all pretty obvious right now. Yeah, I, think it's I will say that when you see this many hesitations on a defense, you have a defensive coordinator who is overcomplicating things needlessly and to a negative effect, and it's not working. I do think we should plug, though, Darius Butler. I'm sure you've seen those videos. Yes, I have. Oh, oh my! He God. was killing the Cowboys this week. Yeah, especially that one corner. Like he highlighted him like three different times. Yeah. Like, there was the wide touchdown. Then there was a red zone play where yeah. he was like filled. twenty-eight. I don't even want to mention his name. It's just twenty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about five Darius Butler on Twitter. Um, he he does defensive back videos. They're fantastic. It's awesome. Uh, Buffalo at the Jets, and, and you know, Greg Williams runs some two-trap. He will run some late movement stuff, but I want to talk, because you played quarterback at, at a college level, so, and, and you know, Josh Allen was ripping man coverage to shreds when they, they were playing predominantly man, which I don't know why you do that against a young mobile quarterback anyway, but whatever. Uh, man coverage, he was, you know, between man coverage and Stephon Diggs, he was the best quarterback in the NFL through four weeks. And the Titans did what they did to Lamar in the playoffs. It was, we're going to show you one thing pre-snap. Right before the snap, we're going to, you know, Kevin Byard was the spinner, went from single high to two deep. And then you're going to see one thing pre-snap, another thing post-snap. The Chiefs did it in less of a zone sense. I saw a match coverage, which, by the way, is the only thing, it's like your only hope against Patrick Mahomes um, is to run either zone or match. This is true of a lot of young quarterbacks. And Josh Allen has had his problems in the last few weeks with this, you know, whether it's zone or match or man or, you know, whatever the coverage is. I don't think the coverage is the point. I think the 
flipping from one type of coverage to another. And the first time I was aware of this was in Super Bowl 53, when the Patriots showed Jared Goff one thing, headset shuts off, bang, you're in another thing, and now you're lost. You're in a bad world. As a quarterback, how do you – I mean, you can if you're if you're getting this against zone, you can just take the underneath stuff and death by a thousand paper cuts and, and enforce more man. But in a general sense, how do you and, and Josh Allen is gonna see this until he figures it out. Every team he plays is gonna do it. And Greg Williams can be kind of an idiot at times, but he's not he's he, he can be dumb, but he's not stupid. Let's put it that way. He's yeah. gonna know, based on those last two games, what to do against Josh Allen. As a quarterback, when you now see this until you can beat it, how do you flip the script and make it, you know, and give yourself the advantage? I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, we sometimes say it's a cliche, like film study, film study, film study. But, like, that's where it starts. Like, you have to – and this is what, you know, Patrick Mahomes talked about this summer. Remember what he had those comments about, you know, I have to learn to see the game, and to read defenses. This is the stuff he's talking about where – you can walk into a play and you know when they start spinning exactly what's coming pre-snap because you've studied it. You've seen it throughout the week. You've watched it on the iPad before you go to bed and first thing when you get up in the morning, you know, okay, you know, take the, the Chiefs example. When you see Tyron down here in the box, shaded over a tight end and we run motion and this is what he does, this is what you're going to get. Like that's where it starts. And then it is – forcing them to adjust when you start just taking what they're giving you. So if it's a situation where they're going to spin to too high out of a one high look, that you start hitting those sticks, you start hitting those digs, the crossers underneath, and you say, look, if you're going to force me and force us to execute a 10-play, you know, 80-yard drive for a touchdown rather than one big play over the top, then that's what we're going to do. And it is interesting sort of in a philosophical way, given the way the game leans towards offenses, that that's what teams on defense are trying to do. Like, that's one of the ways that you try to sort of even the playing field, which is we're not going to let you beat us over the top. We're going to run quarters like the Patriots did against Jared Goff in that Super Bowl and just say, okay, you have to now execute a 15-play drive. Like, you have to beat us that death by a 1,000 cuts because we think at some point you're going to screw up. And that's the bet. That's the bet for these defenses against the Josh Allens or the Jared Goffs of the world, which is we think at some point you're going to screw up. And we'll trust that when you screw up, we'll be able to take advantage. You can try that against Mahomes, and he's better than that. But these other guys, that's the bet. that They're going to screw up at some point. And so you have to, as a quarterback, see what's coming, take what they're giving you, take that seven-yard dig rather than trying to force something over the top, and prove to them we can execute on those 15-play drives now. Now your offense has been an, an observer, a fan for the past 14 minutes or so. Now you can't score. Now you have to change something. Like, that's the bet that these teams have to make. Uh, Green Bay at Houston. Uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers <laughs> went into that Tampa Bay game, uh, 13 touchdowns, no picks, three sacks, came out. Uh, and I will say, I, we're going to get to Tampa Bay in a minute, or I can just summarize my thoughts on Tampa Bay. Uh, Bill Belichick, Super Bowl twenty five. Uh, defensive game plan against the Bills is in the Hall of Fame. I think the, the game plan Todd Bowles put up against the Packers should get a little thing in Canton. That was as good a defensive game plan as I've seen in the last 20 years. It was, uh, and if Dick LeBeau was watching, I, I, he saw a lot of things that were very Dick LeBeau. It was, uh, 
I'll, I'll get into this now because uh, I wrote a whole long piece about it yesterday. Multiple defensive fronts. It's it's one guy with his hand down. And, and I, uh, you wrote a thing about Arizona 065 defense. This was kind of diabolical in a different way. It was, okay, Jason Pierre-Paul has his hand down. Now Ndamukong Sue has his hand down right before the snap. Was a quarterback in an offensive line. One of the reasons Rodgers got his brains beaten in is because you can't call protections against that. You don't know who's coming. You don't know, you know, you're running a, a, a load blitz on the defensive right side, and two of the three guys drop, and your quarterback, who's five yards deep, is blitzing from the other side. You can't call protections against that stuff. So uh, we were going to get to Tampa Bay, but it's your thoughts on what Tampa Bay did to Green Bay, and did the Texans have any hope of replicating that? They have hope of replicating it in a schematic sense. I don't know if they have the hope of that matching it in a personnel sense. Right. I do think that these sort of radar looks that we're seeing more teams run, I think back to a couple years ago, right before their bye, the Patriots went to Tennessee and Vrabel threw these radar looks where everybody's in a two-point stance or maybe one guy's in a three-point stance. And like you said, you don't know who's coming or going. You can't adjust the protection. And this is different than NASCAR, where it's just four guys standing up. Radar is a whole, it's like it's like 3D chess. Seven guys down in the box. Everybody's in two-point stance, or maybe one guy's in a three, like you saw with, with Tampa Bay, where Sue's in a three-point stance, head up over the center, which is a you know nasty thing to do anyway, because Dominic and Sue against the center, that's usually a favorable matchup if you're at Tampa Bay. Yeah. But yeah. Like seven guys in the box, you don't know if all seven are coming or not, so you don't know what to do. You adjust the protection best you can, and like you said, Doug, sometimes you'll slide everybody left. Those guys all drop, and it's everybody coming on the right, and now you're dead in the water. And so from a schematic sense, I think Houston can match that and can run these things. Do they have the personnel to you know replicate what Tampa Bay did? I don't know. But these are tough packages. You know, Tampa Bay ran a lot of 146, 155. You know, Arizona this year, they've been doing, doing this like 0-6-5 where it's no down line. They're using linebackers and defensive backs, and they've been doing it mostly in some packages. What was interesting about Tampa Bay was they're doing it on like third and five. Like it's not just a situation where they're going to say, oh, yeah, it's third and 19. We'll just put athletes on the field. No, they're doing it on third and five, and you can reasonably run the ball against that front if you want to. Teams aren't. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, seeing defenses adjust to what offenses are doing, Always very cool for guys like us and Todd Bowles, like you said, fantastic game plan this week. That was that was ridiculous. Um, is there anything? It was such a good defensive game plan, especially for his personnel, uh, his specific personnel. Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, probably the most underrated cornerback duo in the league. Um, oh God, they had one. <laughs> it was uh, one of the sacks where they had uh, Sue and Pierre Paul and somebody else in a bare front. And then they had, <laughs> this was the the, the five two, and it, they had or no, it was a uh, five one, where they had Levante David and Devin White as the edge rushers, and Shaquille Barrett, who's usually the edge rusher, was the middle linebacker, and it was David and Barrett blitzing from this side, and that was the play where after the sack, Aaron Rodgers just stood up and started yelling at everybody like, ah, um, is there a blue? I don't want to go into blueprint, but did Tampa Bay show anything that can be used against the Packers in future games? Or was this just Todd Bowles being like Jimi Hendrix at Monterey and you can't really follow this? I mean, I, I think teams will try. I mean, I, I think 
you know, it's it's a basic proposition, right? Confuse the guys up front, get home to the passer. I mean, and confuse the offensive line and protection causing the quarterback. Um, so I think, in a sense, teams will try it. You know, it's a copycat league. Teams are certainly going to try it. Um, the difference is the talent that they have. You know, this is an extremely talented defense, and I think people are starting to realize just how good Tampa Bay's defense is. It was getting better at the end of last year, which is why, uh, you know, you, myself, and others were thought, look, Tampa Bay's going to be good. Forget the Brady stuff. It's the defense. It's going to be really good this year. And so I think, you know, they've got talent on that side of the ball. They've got two great cover corners where, you know, they can run this stuff up front and bring pressure and trust that those guys are going to be able to handle their assignments. They've got arguably the best young safety in the game. Um, no, Antoine Winfield Jr. You love. That's, that's my guy. Teams will copy it. Can teams produce the way this group is? I don't know. Well, I'll say this, and I wrote it in the piece uh, yesterday on Touchdown Wire. You can do all that crazy stuff up front. You can do all that crazy coverage. Uh, the Jamel Dean interception was at a big nickel, and it was a really variable look. If you don't have linebackers who who can play with the discipline that Levante David and Devin White play with, yes, they're spectacular in every aspect of the game, but the, the snap-to-snap discipline, if you don't have guys in the middle um, – really with their goggles on it and doing things the right way, everything else. Because a lot of te- everyone wants to be multiple. Right. Everyone wants to be, you know, interesting and, hey, we're going to throw this at you. If you don't play with the fundamentals the Buccaneers defense plays with, I mean, we talked about Greg Williams. I think Greg Williams has had their problem a lot. He wants to be, you know, he will throw all kinds of crazy crap at you. But he doesn't always have the guys who – have the fundamentals. I don't know if he reps it in the right way, but I, I see that a lot with him and other guys where it's like, yeah, we want to be multiple. I think this is a problem with the Cowboys right now. We want to show you a bunch of different stuff, but the guys get on the field, and I said it before, when I see defensive players hesitate, I immediately think coaching. That's yeah. coaching. You're not, you, you have been playing defense since you were eight years old. You do not hesitate. You know not to hesitate. I mean, if if you want to be multiple and exotic and all that stuff, but you guys can't run cover three on a spot drop situation, <laughs> there's a problem, and that's what we're seeing in Dallas. They can't they can't run cover three or cover four. It's 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 really basic stuff. Uh, Seattle at Arizona. Let's let's talk talk to me about this zero six five package. Um, I I think. It, it, I mean, Arizona's offense versus Seattle's defense, I, I'm not really – because I, I, I kind of see the Arizona offense getting out of that, you know, two yards and a cloud of nothing thing. But I want to talk about Arizona's defense against Seattle's offense because that, to me, um, that could be kind of the hidden matchup here. Yeah, I, I think that's a fun one. Um, Arizona's 0-6-5. Uh, I was curious to see how they were using Isaiah Simmons. I know there's been a lot of debate about – He's not even seeing the field, like what's happening in Arizona. So I started looking at plays where he was on the field and came across this 0-6-5 package. They started using it. They used it twice against Carolina. Both plays were a penalty, um, but then they used it against the Jets. They used it against Dallas. It's mostly sub, third down and long situations. But as it indicates, no down linemen, six linebackers up front. Um, and you count Isaiah Simmons in that group. So you've got guys like Campbell. You've got guys like Hicks. You've got you know Hassan Reddick and stuff. Um, and then you've got five defensive backs, and they can do multiple looks out of it. They've run some cover two, some cover four, some cover one. It's great because it gives Isaiah Simmons a chance to just do what he can do right now. You know, when they go cover one, here, just go cover the tight end. They go cover two, 
you're the middle of the field runner, split the safeties, like take the middle of the field away. And then they've got guys, athletic guys up front. You know, they've got Gardek, who's an interesting little, you know, edge rusher who's gotten some sacks off of this. You got a sack of Joe Flacco using that package. They got an interception against Dallas using it. You know, and it's just a way where Vance Joseph can get athletes up front, rely on some quickness. And then, you know, you've got athletes in the secondary. And, oh, yeah, you've got Buda Baker. You can move around here as well. On one example, they had him, you know, as the robber in the middle of the field, you know, taking away crossing routes. You could rush him off the edge. So it's an interesting package. How do you stop Seattle, though? I mean, that's 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 the question I come back to. Obviously, thinking back to that Sunday night game where – Step one, don't play man coverage. Do not, do not, I'm telling you, NFL, do not play man coverage against Russell Wilson. No. Now, I've said it. If you do it, it's your fault. Yeah, I mean, you have to show him the different zone looks. You have to keep eyes on him. That was what New England did early in that game. You know, the first interception, the pick six, was a zone coverage situation. You know, then they went to more man in the second half because they felt like, you know, Russell was doing some things against their zone coverage. They tried some man stuff, and you saw what happened. So I think you have to play zone. It's like we were talking about with the young quarterbacks earlier. You have to play zone. You have to make them, you know, execute these 15 play drives because otherwise forget it. No lightning round. Jacksonville at uh, the Chargers. Uh, I find it interesting. I thought Justin Herbert, I mean, obviously we knew he had a Howard's or front arm. And I always, college quarterbacks who have a great arm and are functionally sort of figuring it out in other levels, I would kind of run screaming from them because I think over-reliance on arm, this could, be, this could get bad. But he's played so at, at, at a higher evolutionary level than I imagined. And one thing I have noticed with him and this is unusual for a young quarterback. He's dictating what you can't do against him. Do not play man coverage. Do not pressure him. Do not pressure him with extra men. Don't do and it. The pressure thing, Doug, is fascinating. I was talking to somebody um, close to a Pac-12 school about Justin Herbert, um, somebody that's played against him. And he was just like, this is not the guy we saw. Yeah. Like, the ability to ball. Pressure, not ball. ability to make throws from a collapsing pocket. Like, nobody saw this one coming. The big arm, everybody thought, yeah, he checks that box. It's the other stuff. Um, he's been impressive to watch. Like you said, I've been fascinated to see how he's dictating to a defense now what you can and can't do, uh, which is rare from a rookie quarterback. Like, I don't see teams saying, oh, Joe Burrow is doing X, Y, and Z right now. We we can't. No. Herbert's point Well, out. they're going to play a bunch of empty. We're just going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and don't, you know, if you're going to play empty with a rookie quarterback and Bobby Hart is your right tackle, I don't know what to tell you. No, but I'm very impressed with Jake Herbert. Um, the other side, Minshew Mania, I don't know if that's careening to an end. It might be, um, much to my dismay. Um, but I think that Jacksonville is bad right now, and they're going to be picking near the top, and it's going to be hard to pass on one of those quarterbacks if they get a chance. I think the problem with Gardner is I think he gets it in his head. He, he has that, what I, I always said to Jameis Winston, he's got a rogue gene. I said It's why I compared Jameis to Jay Cutler when he came out of school. Um, <laughs> Some guys just have that. And Gardner, when he has a structure to play within, um, he's actually he's better than people think he is. But, you know, he's playing too quickly. He's making these hero throws that nobody should be making. It, it could be a problem. Uh, speaking of kind of a lightning run here, uh, fractious quarterback situations. Is the Patriots thing any more than Cam Newton not being able to get practice reps in what probably is the most complicated passing game especially from an option routes perspective in the NFL. Is, is this more than that? I think that's really all it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, and it's the fact that, 
you know, they went into last week with a completely reworked offensive line. You had Justin Heron, a rookie, started at left tackle. Isaiah Wynn, who was their left tackle, left guard. Joe Tooney, who was their left guard at center. Michael Owenu, another rookie at right tackle. Jermaine Illuminor. Well, he's played really well, by the way. Owenu has been great. Yeah. You know, they had him at guard, and then you had um, Jermaine Illuminor at right tackle. Then Illuminor gets hurt. You have to move Owenu to right tackle. Hilde Froholt from last year comes in at guard. So they had a patchwork offensive line. You had no practice. Like you said, this is an, op- an offense where you look at their playbook, and it, it, it looks like the U.S. highway system on every single play because every route can potentially go in 16 different ways based on the coverage. I mean, it's almost like Mouse Davis and the old you know run and shoot where it's yep. like 16 different route concepts based yep. on the coverage. And when you're a new quarterback with no practice time, as, as smart as Cam Newton is, and I, this is not a Cam Newton thing, Cam Newton's one of the smartest quarterbacks in the game, period, full stop, when you don't have practice time and you have a patchwork offensive line, you've got guys like Bradley Chubb. There was a sack, the one where Illuminol got hurt, where wins at left tackle, and Chubb just one-armed forklifts him into the back of Cam Newton. I mean, Which he learned from Von Miller, by the way. Yeah. I've seen Von do that about 20 times. Yeah. And, and so, in that. There's a lot of overreaction in New England right now. They don't have weapons. They can't throw the ball. This was a bad set of circumstances. This, yeah, this wasn't a separation issue. I mean, no. everyone, everyone goes there immediately, but it wasn't a – the tape I've watched that, that was – you know, you see guys open. Yeah. Not, not at a – you know, it's not – it still is what it is, but still. Cousins open, but they're NFL open. And so there were throws to be made. He just wasn't making them. He wasn't comfortable. They didn't have practice time. Everybody can calm down. Get off the Tobin Bridge. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, just want to mention also Jason Barrett, San Francisco 49ers corner. Love that story. He's he's playing. He was one of my secret superstars. He's led a passer rating this year, 7.2. Don't throw a Oh, he's never needed. He was a first-round draft pick. I mean, all he's ever needed is to be healthy. So, uh, Tampa Bay at Raiders. Uh, we've talked about Tampa Bay's defense. Uh, we can get a Tampa Bay's offense at, at a later date. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and if you've seen it, Derek Carr's mechanics with the deep ball this year, I don't know what kicked in. But I've seen a massive, and I I know uh, Trent Brown's out with COVID. I don't know what the status of their offensive line is. I'm still adjusting to the fact that that Tom Cable is running a good offensive line. That may take five years for me to, um, because I'm in Seattle and I saw, you know, I saw what I saw and I'm trying to forget it. But talk to me about Carl's mechanics, what you've seen, because I see a guy who's much more comfortable with the deep ball, as opposed to last year, I saw a lot of frantic. He was throwing deep balls flat-footed. It was kind of cutlerific. This year, it's you know from the feet up. He's got really good a sense of touch and velocity and arc and all the things you want. And it's not just it's not winging the ball. It's thirty yards downfield. He understands. And yeah, we have a Henry Ruggs that helps. We have a good offensive line that helps. All that helps. But Carr, to me, has improved mechanically. Yeah, and it, you're right, Doug. It's, Any quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, it does start with the footwork. Um, he's much more fluid on the balls of his foot. He's not flat-footed. He's not stoic in the pocket. Um, the release point has also been more consistent from what I've seen. You know, last year the release point was kind of all over the place. It might have been because he was trying to figure out touch trajectory and all that stuff. And it seems weird to be saying that about a guy that's been in the league for a while. But Not at all, actually. <laughs> there are guys who play for 15 years and don't get it. Yeah, but when you've been in an offense that is basically like 
John Gruden's pure West Coast where everything's seven yards and in towards the line of scrimmage, like sometimes it's tougher to sort of figure that stuff out. But they're trying to get more aggressive in downfield passing game. Gruden had the shot at pro football focus last week. Everybody sort of talks about cars, air, yards. While they are trying to get more vertical, Henry Ruggs certainly helps that. But, yeah, the mechanics are more fluid. They're more consistent with the release point. And it's been interesting to watch. It's been fun to watch. I'm excited to see Carr and that offense get a little bit more vertical um, if they can sustain it. You know, I think they're kind of a sleeper team right now because they're so athletic on front on, de- on defense. Like, I-, I think people need to see just how quick they can be to the edge. You know, when I saw that Patriots-Raiders game, New England really struggled early trying to get stuff going to the edges because they are just so fast up front. They have some breakdowns and stuff in the secondary. They're well, certainly- I was going to say they're athletic. Boy, play to play, you do not know what, what's it, – it, it could be really good or really bad. Yeah, but they're very quick at athletic up front, so that's been cool to see. Yeah, I think the Raiders as a team, I think they're a year away because they need to sort of get everyone together on defense. Um, we have a trade that we should mention that just okay. happened. Adam Schefter, just a minute ago, Vikings and Ravens finalizing a trade to send Yannick Ngakwe to Baltimore. Oh, my God. 2001 third-round pick and a 2022 conditional fifth-round pick. Well, first of all, fire sale in Minnesota. Um, second of all, Calais Campbell just had a three-sack game and was named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And here comes Ngakwe, his old friend from Jacksonville. Ouch. That is terrifying if you're another Ouch. AFC team. Ouch. Right. Here's something I find interesting about Baltimore's defense. They were the blitzingest team in each of the last two years yeah. uh, by percentage. They've gone down about 10% this year in, in blitz rate. Getting Campbell helps, but I think the reason they're doing that is because they lost Earl Thomas. Yeah. And if you don't have that deep third guy who can just erase everything, you, you're you not going to blitz as much. And, you know, they, they have other – Boy, and that I, I could. Th- this is the Ravens saying, you know what? We've been looking for that guy. Matthew Judon was kind of that guy last year, but he he benefited and, and great player, franchise tag. Uh, but so I don't, when I say he benefited from the blitz, I don't want people to think that I'm saying he's not, you know, a, a plus pass rusher. But to put in Gakway, who had, I think it was 2018, uh, he ran about 20 yards to sack Andrew Luck. He's had, the, the like, the best effort sack I've seen in both 2018 and 2019. That's terrifying. Yeah, because now, now you absolutely don't have to play. Like, you could just rely on those guys. Because I always love approaching things like this from the opposing coordinator perspective. You're a Josh McDaniels, and, you know, when these two teams square off in a couple of weeks. Who are you doubling? Slide in protection to Campbell, Ngakwe. Like, what are you doing? You know, and somebody's going to get some one on one matchups now. And it's not going to be a guy like, say, a Justin Matabuke who's going to be good someday, or a Jihadi Ward. It's going to be either Calais Campbell or Yannick Ngakwe getting a one on one matchup. But he might not win all of them, but he might win enough to just destroy your world. Well, here's the Pier Sixer. Baltimore's on a bye this week. Next week. Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. Yeah. And those, those, those games are... They're brutal to watch anyway. I, I, don't, I, don't, I never like to compare football to war, uh, but it's I'll like, just leave that there. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, wow. That's, yeah, that, that's terrifying. I think that says a couple of things. It says Baltimore wants to increase their proficiency on defense because yep. they know their offense is kind of betwixt and between. I think they're trying to install some new stuff. I think people are blitzing Lamar a lot more. I do think that since the Titans did to him what they did to Josh Allen, he's going to see those flips and coverages and not – and he's going to see him until he figures it out, and I think he's still figuring it out. He's getting blitzed a lot more. I, I read a stat this week where he was – I mean, his DVOA in empty last year was like over 100, like a preposterous – and this year he is the worst quarterback in empty. So it's kind of a Joe Burrow thing where, yeah, you can run empty, but you know what's going to happen. We're going to come after you come with, with everything we got. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, – I, I do also think that this is a, a sort of testament to their, what they feel about in their safety play. Like, we, we don't feel comfortable with our safeties right now, so we want to be able to play more too, too high, yep. cover stuff, keep stuff in front of us because we don't feel comfortable with that lack of our Thomas, like you pointed out. So now – They came into this season saying that. And yeah. Another thing Greg Postel taught me, you can listen to press conferences all day about you know, coaches will say this and that about their players. Don't believe any of it. You can tell exactly what people think of their players by what you see on the field. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, real quickly on uh, the Monday night game, Chicago at Rams. I don't think we need to talk about Nick Foles. I think we know what he is. Um, you have been, I think you've written 76 articles in the last uh, month about Sean McVay on the motion horse. So I'll, I'll just let you look. Now, here's what I want to say about McVay's, the, the, the Rams increasing proficiency with motion. It was the Lions game in 2018 where everyone stopped paying attention to the motion guy, at, and it was usually Woods, because the motion guy never got the ball. Yeah. So everyone just said, eh, you know, that, that's cute. Nice little frosting. We're not going to pay attention to it. What has McVay done this year that is, you know, with his reduced splits and, and whatever, because it's not like, I mean, from what I've seen, it's not like Goff has taken some sort of, you know. No. No, he has. He's not, he's not better than he used to be. He kind of is what he is. You teed it up. You know, in in 18, it was Detroit. It was Chicago. It was Philly. It was the New England. You know, they saw that Detroit game. They never get – the guys never get in the ball, you know. I think of this old story. It was Nebraska-Florida in the national championship game with Spurrier was in Florida. And in the previous coaching clinic circuit leading up to that year, you know, he would go empty – and some high school coach asked him, well, what about the will that walks down over your left tackle? Aren't you worried about him blitzing? Spur is like, that guy's never going to blitz. I don't worry about him. Yep. And what did Nebraska do? They sent the guy. It's kind of like that, you know? They never gave the guy the ball. They never intended to give the guy the ball. Give the guy the ball. It was just eye candy. So teams that couldn't ignore it. Now, they're handing it to him on a jet sweep. They're throwing to him in vertical routes. That's what I keep saying. He is going to make you pay attention to it. So teams then start saying, okay, well, we can't ignore it any longer. We have to play man against it. We have to trail this guy. We have to do something because we have to worry about this now. And then he's going to now hit you with all the stuff that he's waiting to use once you start paying attention to the motion. Like, it's an evolution in Sean McVay that I think people that have applied the genius tag to him have been waiting to see. And it's, it's just coming. So I've been teeing this up. It's just a matter of time because we're going to see finally teams pay attention to it. It might be Chicago this week. And then he's going to hit you going the other way. Chicago's defense better than people think. I think they're off. I mean, I you know, Foles is Foles. He's- Their offense is 
acceptable right now. Yep. And I think that's all Matt Nagy ever wanted from Mitchell Trubisky, and he's finally getting it from Nick Foles. I mean, look, he ran mirror to curl flat seven different ways with Mitchell Trubisky, and he, could, he still couldn't read the concept. And now you're getting somebody that can give you that, and that might be all you need given the defense they have. Yeah. Well, in 2020, in 2000, in 1985, in 1963, it's the Bears. Yeah. You win with defense, and you go with whatever quarterback you got. That's yeah. just some teams. <laughs> some teams just have a paradigm they can't get out of. Yeah. All right, Mark, great stuff. Uh, we'll be doing this every week, and uh, – I hope uh, everyone finds it enjoyable and enlightening and uh, we'll let you get off to your next uh, three or four or five podcasts and <laughs> we'll see you on touchdown wire during the week, my friend. Always my friend. This was a blast. All right. Take care. You too.